With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, film fans and music fans. Uh, That's what this podcast is all about. Being a fan of music and a fan of film and having a chat about it. Well, I chat about it with someone else who knows more about it than I do. Thanks to everybody who got in touch and entered our Fablemans competition. It's the first time we've done anything like that. And we had an unbelievable response. So thank you very much to everybody who got in touch um, and gave us your answer to the question, which was, um, what was the name of the film that Steven Spielberg and John Williams first worked together on and in what year? And the answer was Sugarland Express. And the film was released in 1974. Um, So congratulations to everybody who got that right. And in particular, Congratulations to Daphne, who is off to watch uh, an exclusive pre-release screening of The Fablemans in London town on the 19th of January. Apologies to everybody else who entered. We'll try and run some more competitions and give you the chance to get along to some super duper fancy pants screenings. But yeah, that was fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to get in touch and um, yeah, and enter. Nice one. Now we've got uh, an incredible run of guests coming up over the next fortnight. So much so, we're going to be doing a couple of bonus episodes. Uh, but what a treat we have to kick off with today. Slightly giddy and proper pinch me moment to announce this. Kate Blanchett is... Well, she's just magnificent in everything she does, but she's particularly awesome in Todd Field's new film, Tar, which charts the downfall of the eponymous composer and conductor, Lydia Tar. Now, I'm not going to say too much more about it, except the fact that Kate has real musical chops and puts her heart and soul into her incredible performance, which has already bagged her quite a lot of nominations and a couple of awards already, including a Golden Globe. And Tar is scored by the fabulous Hilda Godnottier. And it's with one of Hilda's cues that we'll begin the vocal version of For Petra. It's a real treat to get to talk to you, and particularly about this film when it comes to music. Before we dive into music, though, I mean, congratulations, what an incredible film. I felt like I was watching a kind of fly on the wall, really, with a beautiful character study of someone. Yeah, that's exactly the... uh, Todd 
Um, has the utmost respect for all of the people that he collaborates with. You know, his his screenplay was a conversational gambit. And so he didn't give a lot of directives, but he we rehearsed a lot. But the one thing he did say is, I want it to feel like a fly on the wall. I yeah. want, because the character, a lot of the characters, not just the character I play, Lydia Tarr, they're hidden from themselves. And often we do and say things gesturally or physically or we'll use a particular word and we're not aware that we're doing it. And so the, the filmmaking was really twinned with that internal psychological state mm. that the character was in. Where did you start with your, your prep for her? Because there are so many levels that you you must have been prepared to step into? I first, after reading the script, I jumped in uh, and took a very cold shower <laughs> to try and <laughs> stop my panic. It's the best thing. Because I'd already said, I always wanted to work with Todd. We'd almost worked together a decade ago and that didn't happen. So I knew before I read the script that I was going to, to do it. And then reading the script, I... I literally, thank goodness, had the 26 volumes of the Oxford English Dictionary. I thought, I I have so much to learn. But by halfway through the script, I realized that that wasn't the point. Yeah. And the audience doesn't need to know anything about the classical music world because it's a meditation on power. But it was very, very important that the audience um, understood that the character knew that Lydia had the unassailable right to stand on that podium, Mm -hmm. that she had an incredible gift. So there were certain things I just had to get on top of, like... You know, I said to Todd in pre-production, I said, look, she's been she's been the principal conductor of this unnamed German, German orchestra for seven years. She's not going to rehearse in English. She has to rehearse in German. So it was that. It was the piano. It was the conducting. No one wants to see my homework. Um, and uh, But I had to get on top of that stuff and pretty quickly. Well, I think that's one of the many brilliant things is that you watch it and you kind of you believe you immediately. You kind of can't see any of that prep because you live in it as a viewer. Oh, few. It's, <laughs> it few. is in that performance that you give on that podium. What was it like for you to be on that podium for the first time and feel that physical wave of what the audience, the orchestra were given back to you? That is exactly it. It's a physical wave. I mean, I'm a friend of mine, Natalie Murray-Beale, who's a wonderful conductor. And because we were shooting and preparing during the pandemic, she had time. <laughs> so I worked with her and we went through all of the Mahler's Fifth. We got the, we got various different versions of the score because, you know, there'd been omissions and additions. <laughs> and we, we chose together um, with Todd the sections that, that she'd rehearse. And I wanted, really wanted each of those sections to feel to show a different energetic dynamic. So through that preparation and selection, I got to know the score quite well mm-hmm. because it was important for me that I stood up there and I, I knew exactly what bar I was returning to. He gave me, Todd gave me the score and he wanted me to do the markings. <laughs> in the, so, you know, obviously I, I, um, I lent on Natalie very heavily with that, but I learned so much about the visceral nature mm. of it. You often see conductors and you think, well, they're not doing much, but, but <laughs> they're yet they're sweating out of time. and they're out of time. <laughs> and, you know, we see that we see their backs and they're contrapuntal because, of course, they're always a step uh, ahead. And so they're, they're, they're master musicians. Mm. And the, the sadness, I think, and difficulty, I think, with female conductors not having had the, the opportunity until relatively recently to be as celebrated as they are, and there are so many master um, female conductors, is that the instrument is the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And, and so they, if they don't stand up on the podium, they don't get to practice their, their art. 
But the other thing that was fascinating to me was with this powerful music, this mala that, that we had to rehearse in the film, is that, of course, you prepare in silence. You don't listen to other people's recordings. I did that as a layperson initially. But then you prepare in silence. So having prepared in silence and with my character having such an acute sensitivity to sound, to noise, he's got misophonia, to stand up and give the downbeat and have that sound come back huh. from the Dresden Philharmonie was unforgettable. I, I mean, I'll go to the grave <laughs> yeah. with those vibrations. It was, I mean, it was such a privilege. And, so emotional, yeah. isn't it? I had the privilege of being on stage at the Royal Festival Hall to introduce an orchestra who were doing a, a night of music from film. Mm. And I had to kind of tuck myself in between the kind of the string section and the kind of and kind of crouch down on the stage on a seat. And I was weeping throughout the performance because it was yeah. almost like it was a magic carpet of music in a way. Yes. You couldn't control how you yeah. how you would react to it in a way. It was extraordinary. And something that I did understand, because I'm very slow and I was hoping we'd get to do all of the, the concert stuff towards the end, but it was the first thing we did. No way, But it wow. was a gift in a way yeah. because I realised what the character had to lose and that I also understood, and maybe it's something I understood for many years on stage, is that Lydia... Like all of those, um, like all great um, musicians, like all musicians, no matter what their stripe, is that you through music you can try and transcend the corporeal and and commune with the spiritual, and that for that to be taken away from her, mm. and also to enter the film having not been able to play that music throughout the course of the pandemic, there's a very particular pressure brought to bear, and and she risks losing a profound part of her soul. Wow. You know? I love how the film starts as well with that interview. It's yes. really clever. Yeah. It's and and to to play that was it's extraordinary to watch. You know, in terms of when I was talking about fly on the wall thing, you kind of you know we know you, we know you're Kate Blanchett, mm. but you're not in this film. It's kind mm. of, in that interview in particular. You're kind mm. of you embody her, and it's extraordinary to watch. And you really learn so much about. It's a really great way of learning bits about the character but you see the walls crumble as the film goes almost as a way which yes, is really and, interesting and look, I understand you know sometimes I you know and I'm, I'm not I'm not there in any way like I, I get stopped in the supermarket and say didn't that people say didn't I go to school with you it's not like I'm recognized or you know or particularly famous in that way I'm not Lady Gaga um, you know who's an amazing musician talk about amazing musicians but I, I did understand the thing of like oh gosh do I have to play Kate Blanchett today and she plays Lydia Tarr. And then, of course, you understand, yeah. but I don't want to do spoiler alert, yeah. that, that her persona is constructed. And for women, um, and, uh, and also for men, but, but even more so for women, in order to earn the right to play those great works, mm. you, you have to have a, a, um, be mentored or have a line of um, connection back to the source. And because, because of her own upbringing, she had to invent that line because she knew that she had the capacity but she didn't have the access mm. and so I found that really I found that really human and quite um, a poignant side of the character which of course 
because of um, Todd's incredible um, ability to access nuance and complexity as a filmmaker, none of that is overt. Mm. They're just all textures, you mm. know, in the in the film. Um, and his choices of Hildegard Nottier as well for oh, the score. How lucky were we? Because, oh. yeah, I mean, Hilda's work as a composer and speaking to her about the, the process of of composing because of course the, the the character I play is not only trying to complete the box the box set of Mahler's fifth and un, something that no other conductor has done with the same orchestra um, uh, and she's trying to complete a, a composition which is which is overdue mm-hmm. and so she's feeling she's failing as as a composer um, and she's also stuck She's mm. got the equivalent of writer's block as a conductor. And then in walks a muse who is young, talented, and she sees, I think, sees herself at the yeah. beginning of her career and wants some of that energy because she's lost her way. And yeah. just so happens to play the cello as yes, well. Yes, I know, the heart <laughs> yeah. instrument. But but Hilda's music was, was absolutely um, essential. And, you know, if I'd had a very stressful day, I would come home and <laughs> noodle over it at the piano. <laughs> it's really haunting. She was brought on quite early in the process as well, which I imagine yeah. was incredibly helpful to have, you know, with the with the seeds of that piece that you talk about, that composition that you talk about. But also, mm. did she write? Were there much kind of sweets from the score that were that were around in terms of whilst you were shooting and things like that? Or? Yes, Todd and, and Hilda and and I sat around and talked quite a lot about what that composition would would be. Yeah, and you know, she's obviously the character is quite. She's struggling with what she's writing, mm-hmm. and so it's very bold of Hilda to take on that that um, that role. But it's also the it's the absence of of the score. What what Hilda took out because often we think about great scoring for for movies is when we can hear it all. Yeah. Great costume designs designs when we can see it all. When we can see the lighting and that Todd kept weeding everything back. It was almost like a haiku, yeah. and I think it's an was an incredible process to go through and watch Hilda shift and change that composition according to the aesthetic, the overriding aesthetic that Todd had for them for for the film. Sometimes silence can be more powerful than anything else it's the absence of sound i mean it's like if you if um you can hear like a high-pitched mechanical noise when you're going to sleep (laughs) and then suddenly it goes 
and and you're, you're, you there's an energetic shift it's often not till that that noise stops yeah. that we perceive that the noise was there at all and there are many the sound design in this film is extraordinary it's imperceptible it's almost like a dog whistle <laughs> but but when the sound drops out you you really feel it and not you don't quite know why it's a, it's a magic trick i think he's he's done it he's made as a filmmaker do you use music much in preparation for 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 characters? Is this something you reach out to? As a I, I do. I'm a bowerbird. I, you never know where the the moment of connection is going to come. Sometimes it's from a line yeah. that that a character uh, s- says, but definitely music because it transcends. It's a, such an obvious thing to say, but it it transcends language, mm-hmm. and um, and sometimes the connections you make with the character are. Um, uh, from a different part of your cerebral cortex, it's not always going to be language front and center, which is ironic given how top heavy the film is with language at the beginning of the film. And of course, it moves more and more and more into the abstract and existential as the film goes on and becomes increasingly silent. But, um, yeah, the, the score was very important to me. And, mm-hmm. um, and there are so many pieces of music um, referenced. So the Rite of Spring was, was a big one I listened to. I did this thing I'd never done before where um, I'd heard an interview with Simon Rattle where he said he had he always had music in his head as a boy and he realized um, that that wasn't what everyone else experienced. So I I, I knew the character was very distracted and I often get very distracted when I'm in the middle of creating um, something and I see everything through the prism of what I'm actually working on, which is a gift, but it's also a curse. So I had an earwig in my ear, always listening to music. And a lot of, a lot of the time wow. it was either um, Buddhist chants because, you know, um, and the music of the Shipibo Kanibo people because wow, my character yeah. had been very influenced. She was, went, was an ethnomusicologist and, um, but it was also Goretzky. And, um, and wow. so I, there was a particular piece um, which we called the Tar March, which um, Hilda and um, and Todd turned me on to. So you didn't find that distracting in any way? It was distracting. <laughs> That's what you wanted. Very, very, very distracting. Yeah. But then there'd be days where I went, no, she's in silence. Okay, and yeah. the panic wow. that as a musician, when you can't hear music, mm-hmm. the panic that that induces. Um, yeah, so it was this, I mean, you know, it's, I don't know how interesting or uninteresting that is to anybody else, but it was a, it was just an interesting thing yeah. for experiment for Absolutely. me to try. 
When you're starting to create a playlist though for a character, whether it's this film or other films, what's the starting point of of deciding what songs are going to go on that playlist? It's often really random. (laughs) Um, Little Darling, because that's something that became Sharon's and uh, played by Nina Hoss, Mm -hmm. um, Lydia's partner in all things, um, and Lydia danced to 60 Beats a Minute. Um, That was definitely on there. lot of Gorecki and there was a lot of um, uh, of chanting mm-hmm. and um, you know those the people who were able to split their voice into the throat, to, the throat, throat singers the yeah. throat singers um, so there was quite a bit of that wow. yeah but there was a lot of um, Hilda's own work and and the score and there was you know there was a fair healthy dose of um, Nick Cave in, yes. in there as well <laughs> yes. you know. I love that. I, Hilda's kind of the, the whole idea. I was lucky enough. We were lucky enough to have Hilda on the, the podcast um, when around Joker time, talk about oh, that fantastic. score. And just hearing her talk about her process and the idea as well that this cello and, and the idea that's so physical, you know, and the way that you hold it and how intimate it is when you're playing it. And that's how she creates. And you can understand how her scores connect so well mm. because they're they're flowing really, you know, when you think about it, it's almost like a an extension of her body in a way, the way that she holds that instrument to create. It's beautiful. Yes. And, then, and, and then when she was, I said, can you just put down the line um, of, of the, the, the score just so I can start to get the overarching theme into my, into my head? And she sung it for me. And it's also, you know, because obviously the cello is so connected to the heart and the voice. Yeah. And, um, and and that was extraordinary. Oh, wow. Um, she's a rock star. Yeah. She, she and um, Todd made a, a music video together recently where um, he has her smash the cello. No way. And she goes, I can't smash my cello. I can't smash it. <laughs> he said, don't worry, we'll, we'll get a really cheap one in. But, you know, but she went for it. She's so, she is such a rock star and an elf. You yeah, know, there's like something about the Icelandic culture, yeah. isn't there? That, that it's you know. kind of it's it's hard to d- describe, but there's something absolutely magical about it. I yeah. think, and she has the most uh, the most. Uh, every time she laughs, I just laugh. <laughs> she's a she's a really magnetic, hypnotic person. But there were so many amazing collaborators on this, mm. and you know, um, Bina Diagolo did the costumes. We'd we'd work together. It's you know, she created wardrobes for all of us that were really um, enabled because there are a lot of long days in in this uh, in. in in the film that enabled us to sort of 
break down and show the psychological states of the characters yeah. and Marco Britnerosso, the production design, you know, the choice of um, Lydia and Sharon's apartment, apartment which was an acoustic and nightmare and, and was so unexpected but was such a, an amazing offer, mm. you know. And in the middle of it is this beautiful, beautiful um, concert grand piano that never gets played. It's like a coffin. Mm. Do you, you know. play? Um, I played piano as a, as a gal. Um, and I've said with every subsequent pregnancy that I would pick it back up. But of course, when Todd called about this, I went, shit, I should have <laughs> done it years ago. But, you know, it's a terrible indictment on me is that I don't tend to pick up these things until I'm forced to by my work. That's why I have to keep working. Otherwise, I'd just be a couch potato. But it's, it's, that's something I don't want to give up. It's, um, having music come back into my life has been really, oh, that's really beautiful. special. That's yeah. so gorgeous. Because with with scores and with uh, for you as a as a film fan, are there particular scores or seeing films where the music has particularly resonated with you, and you've you've appreciated the importance of that relationship between film and music and what it can do? Sometimes it's it's sound, mm -hmm. and I think music can be um, can be sound and can be absence of sound. I mean, I I, I think of. Um, of Kislowski's film and his his connection with Prezhnev, uh, you know that those scores that have been, you know, in my twenties were really, were really powerful and influential, and I would listen to them as as points of inspiration, and you know with with the Adagetto, it's it's been so associated with Death in Venice, yeah, and of so. You know, and I think I say that I threw that into to the rehearsal for Gessensi, Death in Venice. You know, it's a for Gessensi Visconti, you know, because it's 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 um it's associated with another type of film. And how do you then disconnect mm -hmm. those masterworks of classical music from their filmic incarnations? Vergessen Sie uh, Visconti, okay? It's so, so familiar to everyone here. It really doesn't help you to know this piece so well. Okay. It is many, that sometimes many. where a film can, a piece of music can have a, such a strong connection with the film that it's quite hard to cut those ties yeah. sometimes. I mean, Arvo Pert, for instance, it's, it's, um, his work is extraordinary and I listen to it all the time, but often it gets overused mm. um, and and these his work is so powerful it can be used as a Band-Aid to try and, and place the emotion and soul onto, yeah. onto a scene that doesn't actually have it in and of itself. Yeah. And that's what I love about what Todd has done as a filmmaker is it's not overscored. Yeah, because all of that music. He's a musician himself. He's a disgusting, revolting um, <laughs> Renaissance man. You know, he, he, you know, he's he can build a barn. He can he can play the trombone. He's a screamer. He's, he's an actor. He can do <laughs> yeah. he can do everything. I hate him, but but he has he has imbued those musical rhythms into into the scenes, into the way the characters walk, into the tempo, into the cutting rhythm. We had Monica really as a as a um, you know as our collaborator in the editing room which is so blessed that he then doesn't need to overscore it yeah 
And so he and Hilda have been very judicious about when that's used. It's, it's a very bold move, I think. I could chat to you for hours about it. It's lovely to hear how musical you are. I am well, I wish. No, you appreciate it. You understand it. I'm not a toy. You know, I like to... Do you play? No, I feel. Yeah, well, exactly. And so that's where this comes from, you know. The heartbeat. It's one of the best instruments around the heart. Thank you for your time. Congratulations. Thanks, Kate. Thanks. From the score to Tar, that's Tar Largo, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the fabulous Kate Blanchett. My huge thanks to Kate for taking the time to talk to us. Tar is on general release now and is utterly, utterly fabulous. If you want to hear my chat with Hilda, head to edithbowman.com where you can find every single episode of this podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and our YouTube channel is brimming with videos of the original interviews I did and lots of other goodies too. Next up, as promised, we've got a bonus episode which features not one but two guests. Friend of the pod, Justin Horwitz, joins me to discuss his award-winning score for Babylon and we're also joined by the film's writer and director, the wonderful Damien Chazelle. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm -hmm.